If you would, please join me in uh, taking out your Bibles and turning to Romans chapter 11, and also having your Trinity hymnal open to page 845, the Apostles' Creed, as we'll be, especially today, referring to most all of it. As we uh, turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again and ask for His help and assistance as we look to His Word. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have just sung that we will stand on every promise of Your Word. And so, Father, we thank You that before us now is a book of promise. Promises made and promises kept that you will be our God and we will be your people. Father, we have sung that that you provide grace for those who believe. And so, Father, as we begin now, we acknowledge and confess that we believe and yet we ask for your help in the midst of our unbelief. Be pleased now, Father, through your word and by your spirit to build up your people, to build up your church. Amen. Well, we began back on September 23rd of last year in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An exposition of the Apostles' Creed. We began with something entitled, The Need for a Common Creed. Well, we've come to the end of our series because we've come to the end of the creed itself. We've come to the final word, amen. But before we consider the word amen, we need to back up for just a few minutes before we go forward. Now, I want us to recall why this series, why now? In a word, it's to continue to counter widespread ignorance and confusion out there, in here, at times, and even in our own disordered hearts. We are sometimes ignorant, often ignorant. We are sometimes confused. And so that's the reason for this series. Because you remember in Mark, we wanted to answer the question, who is Jesus? In Galatians, we wanted to know what is the gospel. And here in the Apostles' Creed is what is the Christian faith? What is the content of the Christian faith? In Acts chapter 16, we, we read of churches that were strengthened in the faith. They were not strengthened in their marketing strategy. They were not strengthened in um, how they uh, got along with the world. They were strengthened in the faith. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul challenges his readers, to stand firm in the faith. And in Jude, we read in the third verse that we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. And so all this, the faith, means there is a content. There is a body of truth to which Christians and the Christian church believes. Now, a few comments about creeds in general. Some people have a creed, right? Some churches, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. Sounds good, but upon further reflection, you can see 
that that is inadequate and actually not helpful. Because you see, whether acknowledged or not, everyone has a creed, a statement of what they believe. The issue is not whether or not a, a, a person or a church has a creed, but rather, is it a good creed? Is it one that is faithful to the scriptures? Again, creed is coming from Latin, credo, I believe. And while subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, creeds are vitally important as they serve to organize and summarize the teaching of Scripture. Let's make a few comments about the Apostles' Creed in particular. It's history, not written by the Apostles themselves, but based upon their teaching and started to get organized in the 2nd and 3rd century fully developed more in the 7th and 8th century. And in the present status, this is a creed that here at Grace and Peace we regularly confess together, but it's used all over the world. It has a structure and a content, and you can see readily the three I believes, and you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will also see a movement from creation uh, the fall is implied because there's redemption in Christ and then there's consummation looking ahead to the end. We've been talking about the benefits of this creed. What are the benefits? Well, it promotes humility. We join ourselves to people before us and after us. We are not original. We are not the one and only. We are one among many. It promotes humility. It helps us commend and promote the faith. It helps us defend the faith. And certainly when we say, I believe together, it serves to promote unity and fellowship. The creed summarizes the faith, but it doesn't exhaust it. But with that said, as I think we will see even today, that these topics that the creed includes serve to anchor and power our lives. Now back to the title, the word Amen. It's interesting, um, there are not many, but there are a few commentaries out there, books and about the creed, and very few of them, very few of them address this last word, Amen. But as I hope we will see, this one word may be the key word in the creed. The word Amen is universal. Going back to the Hebrew language from the Old Testament, you will read it for those that know Hebrew letters. It is pronounced Amen. In Greek, if you know the Greek letters, it is pronounced, help me out, Amen. It went into Latin as Amen and into English and Amen. And I had this thought yesterday. I searched for how do you say Amen in other languages, and it pulled up 80 languages around the world, and guess what? I would say 95 to 98%, well, that's not gonna be right. Anyway, almost all of them, you pronounce this word, amen. It's like traveling overseas with the Navy in a different country. May I have a Coke? Oh, yes, Coke, right away. Amen is kind of like Coke. It's universally recognized. A few general comments about the word Amen. It's frequently used in the Old Testament and New Testament. Three basic uses. The force of a covenant oath. 
as a benediction, and as we saw from Romans 11, a doxological, a praise use. It's frequently found in the scriptures, often in the context of covenants. And and it's this idea of pledging one's personal agreement to the truth of what is said or prayed. The Apostles' Creed is a big deal. It is a matter of seriousness and sobriety. And in a world of trivia and pursuing cotton candy, the creed is meat. That as it faithfully reflects the scriptures, it will nourish our souls. It's a big deal, it's serious, but it's certainly, as we will see, full of joy as we recognize these truths. Remember Jesus said, quoting Isaiah, that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Lips are moving, but the heart remains at best still, at worst cold and dead. There's a New Testament scholar at the University of North Carolina by the name of Bart Ehrman. Some of you may have heard the name. He's a New Testament scholar, but he is a self-declared unbeliever. He's got an interesting story of moving from faith to no faith. From beginning with a fundamentalist view into a liberal Christian view and now no Christian view. And Ehrman says that the only thing in the creed he can say with complete certainty and honesty is of Jesus Christ, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Of all the other statements, Ehrman can't affirm that. And I think because he says how I quote-unquote lost my faith was when I couldn't deal with the problem of suffering. It's interesting, you can criticize Ehrman rightly, but he has something going for him. He's honest about the Apostles' Creed. He really does believe Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why? Because it's historical fact. It's reality. If our lips and our hearts are aligned and we say amen at the end, We're saying we believe all of it. There's two points, two sections, two divisions. Sorry the outline didn't make it. First, amen is a good word with which to end the Apostles' Creed. And second, amen is a good word with which to begin living according to the truth confessed in the Apostles' Creed. Although amen is not a way to say the end, it is nonetheless a good word with which to end. It serves as an anchor. There's two bookends of the creed. The beginning, I believe, and the end, amen. Remember the sermon, just two words, I believe. We acknowledge, we affirm, and we agree We acknowledge, we affirm, and we agree. I believe. 
And if you remember, there was a statement made back when we looked at just two words, I believe, that these two words make the difference between life and death. Whoever has the Son of God has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Whoever believes, Jesus would say, and the apostles confirm, has life. If you don't believe, you don't have life. So when you say, I believe at the beginning, you're acknowledging, you're affirming, and you're agreeing. And when you say, amen, at the end, you say again, I acknowledge, I affirm, and I agree. And let's look at what we acknowledge, affirm, and agree. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God as Father. He's good to His children. God as Almighty. He is great and powerful. God is the maker of heaven and earth, not we ourselves. The creator-creature distinction is clear. God is the creator. We are the creation, the creatures. And if we remembered that and, and lived that out, oh, the problems that you and I would avoid. We also say, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Jesus, His given name, Christ, His given title. He's the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is the Lord. I was uh, listening to a, 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 a seminary classmate once speak on the Apostles' Creed. And he mentioned the fact that it's really good to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. And that's no problem in uh, A.D. 40, A.D. 35. No problem. But then that first creed, which says Jesus is Lord, starts being used. And the Roman authorities start to have a problem. No, no, no. Jesus is not Lord Caesar is Lord. And right then and there, Christians, those in Christ and the church, had to express fidelity to the testimony of Scripture. Confessing Jesus as the Son and Lord anchors our worship of the triune God. It promotes our obedience in all of life. He's the Lord. It, it leads to a life of worship and obedience. We said we believed in Jesus Christ who was born, bled, and buried. We, we, we believe in His birth. We believe in His suffering. We believe in His death. And remember in this section, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Remember that in this section appear the Virgin Mary... And Pontius Pilate. Interesting. Both are servants of the Lord. Mary has faith, trust, and love. Pontius Pilate is still doing the Lord's bidding. He's also a servant of the Lord. But he has no faith, no trust, and no love. And for, for Mary, the fear of God was greater than the fear of man. But for Pilate, the fear of man was greater than the fear of God. 
But we know that what went down must come up, spin and wheel, right? Got to go round. Jesus Christ, risen, reigning, and returning. The Creed continues, The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is risen, and we saw that is good news from the past. Jesus is right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, reigning, and that is good news for the present. And His promised return to judge the living and the dead is good news about the future. So there you have it. We've already confessed faith in the triune God, or excuse me, two out of the three, the Father and the Son, but the creed continues. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look how the third section starts. I believe in the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else after that. But what we see that follows is the quiet but powerful work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the person, the presence, and the power And if you were there that Sunday, you may remember that the Christian is at all times and in every place in the presence of a powerful person. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit is among us. And you see, as the creed continues, it doesn't focus on the individual, rather it starts with the community, the corporate aspect of the Christian life, the church the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. The church that God has declared to be holy, that He has declared to be Catholic. Remember Peter says that once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. The church The communion of saints are people who have received the mercy of God. And when we think about the church as holy, set apart, it encourages us. But when we think of the church as Catholic or universal everywhere, it humbles us. And we as people need to be both encouraged and also put in our place at the proper time. The church is the communion of saints. We've been given this communion, this unity, and we're called to maintain it or to demonstrate it through all humility and gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love as we saw from Ephesians 4. And so after the creed addresses the church, it addresses the individual with the powerful work of the Holy Spirit bringing about a new relationship through forgiveness, a new existence through the resurrection of the body, and a new destiny with the the life everlasting. We see forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel, purchased by Christ and possessed by faith. We see resurrection because death is a problem and our bodies really are wasting away. They're decaying, they're dying, but... We need a new and a better body. And God's word has promised us exactly what we need. And with that new body, that imperishable body, it will be living 
it will experience the everlasting life. And we saw when we looked at the everlasting life last week that there's an already and a not yet aspect. And we see that it's both here and now and there and then. And it's a life unlike any other kind of life because as Jesus defines it, it is knowing God the Father and the one he has sent, Jesus Christ. And so amen is a good word with which to end the creed. Because you know what? It's the word that ends the scriptures. Did you all know that? If you turn to Revelation 22, 21, the last verse in the Bible, it ends with amen. And because it's, it's a good word to end, it serves as an anchor, helping us to, to hold fast to the faith. But amen is also a good word with which to begin as it serves as an engine either pulling or pushing us forward into walking by faith and not just acknowledging, affirming, and agreeing with the faith. As important as that is, it, it, the amen helps to serve by putting faith into practice, into action. So amen is a good word with which to begin. It serves as an engine. Now, James in his letter says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Amen at the end serves as a beginning to remind us, don't deceive ourselves by just affirming this. Put it into practice. Put it into action. And amen is such a good word to begin things that Jesus, and I had to count it because I didn't believe it, but a staggering 25 times in the Gospel of John says, truly, truly. What Jesus says at the beginning of 25 statements is amen, amen. In other words, thus says the Lord. Older translations, verily, verily. A staggering 25 times in John, Jesus starts with an amen. He begins with an amen. Turn with me, if you haven't already done that, to Romans 11. Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And here's how Paul ends it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. But now, friends, you will see the movement, the transition from the indicative to the imperative. You have seen doctrine in chapters 1 through 11, and now you will see practice or duty beginning in chapter 12. Look with me at the first few verses of 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, Paul at the end of the doctrine says, Amen. And then at the beginning of the life, at the beginning of the practice, at the beginning of a, the duty that's really a delight, he says, Amen. So with that said, let's run very quickly back through the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. My friends, in view of your belief in God, the Father, who is almighty, who is the maker of heaven and earth, how are you going to think differently? How are you going to speak differently? How are you going to act differently? If you say you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. How are you going to think, speak, and act differently? Because you believe it. When you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. How are you going to speak, to think, to act differently than you would have otherwise if you said you did not believe in the Holy Spirit? And of course, we come to the church, the holy Catholic church, the communion of saints. What a wonderful picture of the body of Christ my friends, in view of your belief that the church is holy, set apart by God, that's Catholic, it's, it's made up of refugees and immigrants from Burma who most likely will become some of our good friends. In view of that, in view of the communion of saints, how are you going to treat one another differently? In the home, at work, in the church. And you see at the end, forgiveness, resurrection, life everlasting. My friends, these are benefits of Christ that are applied by the Holy Spirit. They come with Christ. They're a package deal. You get Christ, you get forgiveness, resurrection, life everlasting. So with that those benefits in mind. How, how are you going to live differently? Speak differently. And in the internal confines of your own mind and heart, how are you going to think differently? Are you going to value something that you think used to have no value? And are you going to value something or not value something that otherwise before had had too much value. And so we've considered the final word of the Apostles' Creed. It's an anchor holding us to the faith. It's an engine either pulling us or pushing us forward in living out the faith. Well, just a couple of words here in conclusion. The Apostles' Creed 
points us away from ourselves. It starts with I believe and it repeats twice those two words, I believe, but it's not the focus of the creed. Rather, the focus is on our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's interesting that Isaiah 65, verse 16, we read the God of truth. Twice, the God of truth. And interestingly, it's the Hebrew word for amen. One of God's titles is amen. It's illustrating his faithfulness to his promises. Just as we sang every promise, I will stand on every promise. So the Apostles' Creed points us away from ourselves. And secondly, the Apostles' Creed points us primarily to Jesus Christ. He's at the center of the creed. He occupies the most space of the creed. Although the last word of Scripture is Amen, God's final word is Jesus. He's at the center of the Apostles' Creed. He's the central focus of the Bible, God's revealed word. This is how the author to the Hebrews starts off his letter. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. And God's revelation is given so that we would respond in faith. In faith in Christ. Because you see, Jesus is the only human who has ever been in personal agreement with God's truth. Who says with complete honesty and integrity, yes to God's revelation and covenant. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, and that is why through Him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. My friends, Jesus Christ is the acknowledgement and the affirmation and the agreement with all the promises of God. Yesterday morning, the men started out our time of hymn singing the way we have for the past two years. Though troubles assail us. Hymn 95 in the Trinity Hymnal. And verse 4 says this. No strength of our own and no goodness we claim. Yet since we have known of the Savior's great name. In this our strong tower for safety we hide. The Lord is our power the Lord will provide. And indeed, in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, the Lord has provided all that we need. Remember these words of Jesus, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My friends, it's in Jesus that you and I find rest. 
with Jesus Christ at the center of the Apostles' Creed, the Creed is saying, come to Jesus and keep coming back to Jesus. My friends, the whole world and especially all of humanity has been created and is meant to be one big amen to the glorious truth of who God is. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short, organized summary of the Christian faith. Because, Father, our minds are finite, our minds wander, our minds are ignorant and confused, and yet we can go back to this summary and get to your word. We can go back to this structure of you being the triune God, and we can see that in your word. Oh, Father, may this creed be a tool in our toolbox so that we can be helped and we can help others have a faith that is anchored to your truth and have a faith that is propelled by your truth. Indeed, glory to you, Father, and glory to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen.